correct it may sound, Iran may be better at making high-tech equipment than Russia in its current uh, state. But on the other side, uh, while yes, these drones are more capable than you'd expect of Iran, they were the ones that did the uh, Saudi Aramco attack. Um, some key uh, the salient points from Yehuda are twofold. One, uh, he doesn't think these things are anywhere near as good as like a Baraktar or what the Ukrainians have, nor are they the kind of things that the Israelis have um, that, that are sort of suicide drones that could maybe be a problem for a HIMARS, a.k.a. they won't stop at being HIMARS o'clock 24-7 in Ukraine right now. Um, the other key piece of this is, uh, so one, it's still HIMARS o'clock. The, these won't change that even if they're operating at the best capacity. The other thing he suggested is that there is definitely some suggestions that uh, perhaps Israel um, is working on with Ukraine on the SIGINT side. And because Iran has given these things to Hamas and other terrorist organizations, uh, Israel already knows, uh, has experience with dealing with them in uh, a hostile capacity. So if anybody, so unlike uh, Saudi, the Saudis, um, you know, Israel is a militarized space with lots of expectations of people trying to uh, blow it, blow stuff up and kill their civilians. So the people who are most equipped and have the most uh, capabilities of, of stopping these drones are, are apparently uh, very quietly helping Ukraine with this kinds of things, a.k.a. this is not a huge work. Thank you, Finance. I forgot those two points. Uh, yes, you also mentioned those two things. Uh, Doman, I was going to ask you, um, I heard, I don't know for oh, sure. Can but... I, before you ask me, yeah. I just want to know, I'm getting some notes from some uh, listeners that apparently Iran captured some U.S. drone uh, in 2019 and got to deconstruct yep. it and kind of copy it a little bit. Um, and also that the big problem that Russians had were forward observing for artillery, and this might actually plug a gap for them, so it might not be quite as irrelevant as we might think. Uh, please continue, Jeff. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I think they probably ha still have enough Orlan 10s, but I don't know. I, it's it's true. Like, it, Russia does need reconnaissance drones. Iran can provide them. Like, it's not... Um, we're not we're not saying that like this won't do anything for Russia, but it's not it's not a game changer for them. Like there's not you know, we're not going to see a hundred Iranian equivalent of Bayraktars like blowing up uh, Ukrainian positions. But anyway, um, um, so uh, and before you oh, continue, this is an excellent note from Daniel Arfire. The, the one good thing here is that China doesn't support um, Russia with drones, clearly. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going to Iran. And secondly, did the Saudis are not going to be happy about um, Iran sending Russia anything. And this might increase the rift between Saudi and Russia a little bit and might possibly, and this is me extrapolating, possibly make the Saudis a bit more likely to produce a little bit more oil. True. They might even uh, just send Ukraine weapons to spite Iran. But uh, out of just pure spite, it wouldn't be to help Ukraine at all. Um, anyway, um, so my question was, Doman, um, I heard just from a very brief uh, uh, Ukrainian news source that the aero systems from Sweden might be going to Ukraine. Is Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, there is a suggestion that Archer is not aero. Archer. Um, Archer, yeah. Might, might be going to Ukraine. Uh, my initial thought was, oh, they're probably going to send the... There's some old ones that the tried to sell to Norway and maybe Norway returned or something on those lines. I forget what, what happened with the ones to Norway, but no, apparently it's going to be new ones. Um, it has been rumored. However, note that uh, Sweden tends to keep things quiet as does Finland, as does Norway. Um, and, and there's not too much. Uh, do, you, do you know much about the system? I remember briefly Battle talking good. about it. He likes it a lot. Yeah, he said it's really good. Do you know anything about it? What's special about it? It's an artillery system, by the way, guys. It's a self-propelled artillery system. Go ahead, Doman. It's like a Caesar, but it's made by the Swedes instead of the French. Um, that's my understanding of it. Apparently, it's very good. It looks like a truck with a big... And instead of a large cargo space at the back, you know, like a semi... Instead of a large cargo space at the back, it's uh, a very large gun, a very, very large, long gun. Um, it has a 40-plus kilometer range. It can do, I think, the same thing as Panzerhaubitz. I think it can do multiple rounds, simultaneous impact. Do you know what? Siege is going to be up in like an hour and a half. Last game. How does that sound? Because I, I don't well, know. I'm I know it's a big... But sounds good, gentlemen. Sounds good for the program. A, <laughs> I know it's a big. I know it's a big howitzer that is on wheels, not tracks. It's self-propelled. It's Swedish, and everybody says it's really good. That's what I know about it. 
I'll ask CJ when uh, when he comes up. I'm, I'm, we're probably talking I'm maybe six of them. Aware of my limitation. In terms six of numbers, of we're probably talking about about six, or I mean, I don't know exactly six, but probably, you know, in terms of numbers, yeah, probably six to twelve, probably six to start with. But uh, okay, here we go. I'm getting some information. It's a full autoloader, uh, the Archer. I don't know how that compares to the Caesar. I'm guessing Caesar is not a full autoloader. Otherwise, our friendly Swiss artillerist Pendolino would not be uh, stressing that that aspect of it. Uh, Pendolino, if you want to jump up and explain the Archer, uh, you know, there's uh, some people who would be really interested in that. For example, Joseph, uh, who's been asking about it, and I don't know how to answer him. Um, I'm going to keep but, asking you questions about it, Doman. Does it have, does it have like air conditioning and a heater on it? Is it are they good? I'm just kidding. I don't I don't have any more questions. It's, it sounds says, like a good system. I hope it gets there. Go he ahead, says Doman. you don't need a gunner because it's a full autoloader, which I guess is a good thing because it probably makes you train it more quickly and you need fewer people to operate it. That's just me surmising. I don't know. It is what it is. It's a good system. Hopefully they send them. It's definitely better than uh, most normal stuff. So, you know, it's uh, okay. I'm being told it's way better than Caesar. It's armored and fully automated. The crew doesn't need to leave the driver's hut to fire or reload. Okay, excellent. So it means that you can just drive it around. And um, when you want to shoot, you just stop the truck and do everything from the, from the armored cab. Well, that, that sounds pretty good. I'm guessing it's very good for whatever CJ says. We should definitely not be calling a shoot and scoot. Uh, but everybody knows what uh, everybody can imagine a shooting scoot. So that, um, yeah, excellent. That's uh, it's really good to really good to know, right? It's uh, it is hopefully it is just interesting. Soon. It is just interesting to me, gentlemen. Like maybe it's my tired brain, but just like you would, you wouldn't think that an artillery cannon could be that different, right? But if you look at every NATO country, we've all done like such wildly different things. Like the U.S. Right has sort of the I get well I guess it's the M two seventy is would be the equivalent here. Then you have the Panzer Howitzer. Then you have the Caesar. Then you have this Arrow system. Like they're all so different in terms of like how they operate. I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to see the idiosyncrasies of all these uh, artillery pieces and the different countries and like their priorities and like what they decided to to favor. Yeah, uh, I think to to an extent it's also a good idea to have lots of different. Um, um... Uh, lots of different designs attempted in different countries uh, because, you know, um, it, it gives more opportunity for experimentation to some degree, right? You need you get to test out more slightly different approaches. You get more engineers working on similar problems. And then, you know, various, say, NATO countries, and I'm going to start calling Sweden a NATO country because it will be real soon, uh, can learn from one another. And obviously, you know, Sweden's already been cooperating very tightly with NATO for the past 27 years. So, um you know, they, they talk about all this stuff already. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was partially, um, I, I, it's not just Swedish, I think. I think it has some Norwegian involvement and possibly some British involvement in this as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's apparently, it's a really good system. Everybody really likes it. All the all the artillery people apparently really like it. Um, so yeah, about 40 kilometer range with, with regular rounds, I believe, which is, you know, pretty good. Comparable to the Caesar, a bit better than the Caesar possibly. And, you know, maybe even better mobility. Peter's from Norway, maybe Peter knows something about them. Sorry, I, I'm, I just logged on, I missed the news. Are are they getting archers? We're There's not speculation that they're getting archers. Okay, so, uh, what I know about them, it's a joint uh, Swedish-Norwegian project. The Swedes are the brains and the production capacity behind it, and uh, not many have been produced, I think. Uh, uh, what are the Norwegians, the looks? 40 to 50. What are the Norwegians do? You said the Swedes are the brains and the production, so what do the Norwegians do? money ah okay well i can understand it's cold up there i can understand why you guys wouldn't want to leave the uh the vehicle to shoot the artillery cannon that makes sense to me yeah that, I, I guess that's actually a real consideration i mean those guys uh, need to be able to fight in you know 20 30 minus uh, celsius makes sense to me well doman uh i guess uh i think i probably got to call it a night here but uh i wish the european team uh the best of luck special kerson cat uh, i hope i wake up to uh more explosions uh, in kerson uh, i hope that uh the city is liberated soon and uh you can go home man uh, i do appreciate it uh so no, the, thanks the everyone thing, the first thing Joseph is going to do when when he wakes up is he's going to go to special kerson cat's timeline and look for for new pictures and new videos i think it's true he's it not around. lying that's that's what I did this morning, Doman. All right, guys. Uh, good night. Uh, please donate to Maria Aid. MariaAid.org. It's an organization run by 
completely by volunteers. That means 100% of your donation will go directly to tourniquets, drones, body armor, thermal vision, night vision, things that Ukrainian soldiers and civilians need on the front lines right now. There's no overhead costs. There's no administrative costs. We don't have any pizza parties. All we do is we take 100% of your donation and we send it to Ukraine in the form of non-lethal aid. So please consider donating, guys. Uh, Doman, I'm going to send you the speaker list uh, before I, I log off here. So if you want to uh, review the speakers uh, at any point, uh, you can. We got a lot of great speakers lined up. Uh, Walter, big things go- coming at the Walter Report, everybody. So stay tuned. Good night, Doman. Thank you, Joseph. Good night. Um, apparently, there are 48 archers produced thus far. Uh, Swedish Army is ordering more uh, for its artillery, and the U.S. is considering ordering some as well. Uh, I'm being told that it looks like a Volvo dump truck with a big gun where the dump bed is, which I think is actually a pretty correct assessment. But that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. That just means that they that they have to, you know, operate in rain or shine or you know whatever weather conditions and have to be very durable because um, you know if your rubbish isn't taken away, you end up like Naples, and that's no good for anyone, is it? Um, and Ben notes that nothing is better than a Caesar because um, Ben is French. Um, Good. Okay. Axel, do you know anything about the archer artillery system that some rumor is being uh, sent to Ukraine? I've heard the rumor many times. Very like a crescendo of a rumor in recent days. We'll see. Do you think they're good? I'm not an expert on the archer at all. I've seen specification sheets. I've seen some data. Uh, If the data is true and uh, the experience uh, of the troops with it is uh, relevant, I'm I have no doubt that uh, the chaps produce good, uh, good kit, but I, I have no way of judging it. I remember a discussion on this uh, space about two months ago, where uh, where uh, they were discussing if we could have any system, which one would we want? And you know, Caesars were mentioned, but they at the end agreed that the the archers were the best. So that's all I know about that thing. Uh, yeah, Gunny made a statement in that regard that they, uh, they had seen them, but I don't know who actually ever shot them. I can't judge. Petter, if you can find us one who has experience in the Norwegian army with them, I'd be delighted. Yeah, my contacts in the army are not uh, what they used to be. <laughs> well, there's only, what, three degrees of separation in Norway. <laughs> Please ask around. <laughs> yeah, I can ask around. Uh, I, I know some guys who work at uh, Kongsberg, so. Maybe they know. Super, thank you. Much appreciated. And apparently the Swiss Army is also evaluating it uh, for purchase. That's probably good, right? Because the Swiss, uh, well, they have they have money to spend on whatever's best. We have an elevated Ukrainian panel, as I can see. Slava Ukraine. Hello, Slava. Hello, Slava. Hello, Slava. Yeah, I think we have a couple of Ukrainian speakers. <laughs> That's what happened. Okay, I need to find those tweets again because people are going to be asking me questions again. While you're looking for that, I can explain what's happening. For those of you who haven't had uh, the typical Ukrainian greeting, well, no, not only Ukrainian, no, it's sort of international, but Ukrainians uh, tend to uh, prolong it <clears throat> with a couple of uh, ending quotes. Usually you say, like, glory to... Ukraine, and then respond, glory to the heroes, which is Slava Ukraini, and then respond, Heroem Slava, and then you say, uh, glory to the nation, Slava Nazi, and then death awaits the enemy, like the smart oh, which right now is kind of how we live, I guess, modus uh, vivendi, modus operandi, all of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, by the end of the war, and when we look to you're going to hear, hear it a lot, not only on spaces, but all over the <clears throat> places, I would say. Um, and it's actually very um, in- inspiring to, to hear that with different accents, to say at least. And you can check it out in the nest now as well. Uh, I will again say that I think I got the stress rules wrong for IPA. And, you know, that's... Uh... That doesn't but matter. You should, you, should, you should all know it by now. I, I think I have the right to say, like both as a Ukrainian and as a linguist, I, I can give you the right to butcher it. And yeah, I can also give you the right to butcher Ukrainian <clears throat> toponyms, but for the couple first times, and then let's see how we go. He just butchered the IPA with uh, under the influence of IPA. That's what, That was it. Yeah, I know that was a bad joke. <laughs>
Somebody has to stand in front of you there. I had to switch off the mic. <laughs> switch off the mic so I can laugh this So I got a little story about um, I was at Glastonbury with a Ukrainian flag, and the amount of people that are saying Slava Ukrainian to me it was quite wholesome. I thought. Um, Excellent. Fun fact: uh, Slava is also like the pet name for uh, some of the names that we have in Ukraine, which is. Sviatoslav, Yatislav, like it's just a shorter version. So sometimes people, <clears throat> like before the war, like to mock like Slava Ukrainian and bring basically some, bringing some guy, some fella whose name is Slava and giving it him to Ukraine. But no one is joking about <laughs> that right now. Joke, joke has vanished, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. And it's pretty cool that uh, your Bruce Springsteen uh, is a Slava Vakatruk, right? Oh, um, well, I I wouldn't make a comparison, though uh, Chris Martin and Coldplay has sung his song Obimi uh, in, in Poland, not that far away, but he, he did make an influence and he's still making an influence as a, a performer and uh, artist and uh, just activist, I suppose, because he's been bringing some stuff to the front lines as uh, part of his charity movement. But yes, Svetoslav Akartuk is the frontman of uh, Okan Elzi uh, rock band. Might have heard him. If you've been to Ukraine and you listen to Radio Rocks or any other radio, you, you like have 99.8 chances that you heard him singing or whistling. If you remember Ukrainian song and there's some sort of like whistling and humming tune, that's probably him. Yeah, there was also a great video of him playing for the troops, which uh, was uh, obviously well produced, but still it was uh, moving, I thought. Oh, yeah. Um, I think you're referring to the one A, either on the front line, B, uh, in the Chernobyl power plant, nuclear power plant, I mean, and C on like <clears throat> Mindan, Zalashnitsky Square. Actually, he was the first one who came up to Maidan in 2013 to express um, his frustration and public opinion of what was happening uh, before actually the peaceful protest was, <clears throat> let's say, dismantled. And he also was an MP at some point. He also had established um, a party, which is now he, what he has abandoned. There's like a full story about that. But yeah, overall, he's, uh, he's been a decent fellow. And uh, yeah, it's it's good that Dominic has actually added it to the nest, so you can you can probably see because my nest is glitched and I only see three tweets. But eh. yeah, well, I can see four, so that's uh, that's confusing. Can you can you see the thing? Oh, that, I think it's the glitches on me or the glitches on Twitter. Like it's not something. Uh, yeah, for those of you who have been haven't been listening, like listening to Spaces for a long time, or haven't been here for like a while, or you haven't used Twitter for a long time, um, Spaces, even though they have been like for almost half a year, they're still in the beta version. So sometimes we do have glitches. Sometimes people can't hear each other. Sometimes uh, the audio gets lost. Sometimes you might be booted. But that's just glitch. It's not intentional. And uh, if you have so many problem, some pro- problems like this, uh, the, the fixing, I guess, the, the solution to it all is just like a upgrading your app, uh, deleting and then installing, or switching from Android to iPhone or back or back and forth. It sometimes helps, or just waiting once everything is get it just gets fixed. But yeah, that's how technology works. We have bugs, you fix them. We have another bugs, you fix them. Problem solution yeah just be patient sometimes and if something happens it doesn't mean that the host or course doing something it's just application is it you know um uh seeing another ammunition dump being uh, exploded or is it more you know an interaction with other people uh, where where you strengthen each other's resolve, or or is it maybe more on on the side of you know when when you hear about bad things that have been done by Russians, or is there something you would highlight that that sort of boosts your resolve and your morale? And and if there's something that you think is is more general to the population, then you can mention that as well. Mm, that's actually such a good question. I 
I would say it's a combination of factors and sometimes <clears throat> just uh, realizing that sometimes some things happen not thanks to but in spite of like um, in spite of all the odds and people are able to evacuate others or they can <clears throat> they can pull off just crazy missions with the extraction extractions or like with the, with the training um, it, it depends on the date to, actually um, everything is you know in this world sometimes gets recognized or gets <laughs> acknowledged in comparison so it, it depends on the day like yesterday it was uh, a pretty big deal to see uh, you know the let's call them fireworks the ammo depots because uh, some people call them supernova which I also um, <laughs> like as well um, especially in, in terms of uh, <clears throat> web uh, <clears throat> telescope being um, you know, launched um yes so yesterday there was that firework but at the same time Mikolai was hit so it was like back and forth and you you, you were trying to balance it out like yes this is some small like <clears throat> small like say success small success but at the same time still suffer um casualties and losses so it's usually um it's it's a bumpy ride i would say um, mostly the morale can be boosted, like, I, I, I saw some of the troops <clears throat> uh, almost a week ago, and it, it was definitely uh, a, a great morale boost to, to, to just, um, um, to just uh, see them, uh, have a chance to chat with them, see how they've been doing, what's happening, uh, hear their stories, uh, be supportive for them um, at the same time uh, just talking to people um, even if you have never seen them before listening to them and sharing some small successes once again like someone was able to pull off uh, I don't know a deal in getting um, like a a couple of night vision goggles, which is great. That's like a small step to success. Uh, some country was was able to, I don't know, fundraise the, for another Bayraktar or for another, uh, even like uh, SUV. That's also something to celebrate. We don't have a lot of things to celebrate daily here. Um, it's, Especially when you're kind of waiting the, the big uh, celebration and it's not coming, you kind of try to um, catch those small, uh, you know, you have to be active in your listening, you have to use active listening skills and just show uh, your support, compassion, empathy and um, just be there for them that's also a great moral boost for them to know that you're still there you're still doing something on the background uh, you don't necessarily need to share with them everything you do because that's also overwhelming <laughs> they don't have to share with you every experience that they had because that's uh, sometimes relieving traumatic experience and it's just balancing it out but yeah, overall, if you're talking, if we're talking about morale boost, is uh, just knowing that the world is still supporting us, um, that we are not alone, that there is like a strong messages from all the countries and all the allies, and that uh, even though not every time you can see like the <clears throat> video or pictures of something that was done, you still trust that it's happening and you know baby steps are baby baby steps are being <clears throat> are being taken to to come to the victory shall we bounce the same question off of a special cat and slavo Krini if uh, he can get a stable connection special cat um i have a stable connection like uh, it was good. It was, yeah yeah it was so did you hear did you hear peter's question earlier what 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 are the sort of events or news that um are sort of morale boosting or galvanizing for you or, or for people around you? So, you know, ammo dumps going up in flames or anything else? Oh, in the last time, of course, ammo dumps. Like, it's uh, the biggest moral boost uh, for the last, for the past two weeks for us and uh, also for my family and even for my grandmother. She asked me 
for example, we've had, uh, like, she's from uh, Himiches, I've said it before, and uh, two days ago she wrote me, like, uh, so what are the new Amodams that blowing up? So it's like, uh, well, our family is Amodams, and, uh, um, no, it's like our local, like, uh, morale boost, but we have, like, some connection with people on the front line, and uh, if they are share, like, uh, going on contacts with us, uh, it's also, like, a moral boost for us. Thanks, Beshukat. Um, so you're still in touch with a lot of people back in Kherson, right? I mean, as many as there are still there. Um, do they do they feel similarly? Are they just you know waiting and cheering on for things blowing up outside your windows, basically? Um, the last news is that they are worried right now. Like they've seen uh, this uh, like uh, stuff blowing up in Chernobylka and. Uh, like we have not talked with them after the new Kahoka, but uh, the last news is they are now strongly considered to find a way to live from uh, the Kherson region. Like it's uh, like for those who have left there from my relatives, it's not um, like very easy because they have business in Kherson, and uh, if they leave, uh, it means that they uh, have no other people to leave uh, like their business uh, like to watch for. So, but uh, they are now like actively seeking for ways to evacuate from the city. Exactly, and that's something we were talking about with you a few uh, a few days ago, right? And you were saying that at least two thirds of the people who already left left from Kherson as well. Um, Slavo Krini, what what, yeah. what are your thoughts? Hello, uh, Mr. Thank you. It uh, also was uh, noted that uh, today, just uh, today morning. I'm sorry, I'm just chewing. Um, a lot of people are just uh, in Kherson requested to evacuate. So it's like a good news because uh, before it was not uh, such, because it was um, from the Ukrainian side, it was for weeks. So maybe two, maybe three weeks was um, to the, uh, like a uh, request to the people to uh, leave, leave uh, Kherson in Kherson Oblast, any way you can. And just maybe a few days ago, in this request from the people who in this occupied territories, it was was massive request to help evacuate and who cannot uh, be evacuated to live through uh, the Crimea and other ways um, when they can. So it was um, just um, this morning, it was big. And also can confirm that uh, in my situation, uh, we have like a radio uh, on kitchen that before the war it was like an entertainment radio, but now it's like information uh, um, marathon 24-7. And my mom also uh, started to pick up on this uh, news and he also get uh, re really cheered when something happens in the Russian side. Not because Russians are hurting, but because uh, Ukrainian side is getting defended. And I have a question for the Ferlene, if she is still here. Uh, uh, I I understand that um, different. It is interesting for me to hear from Ukrainians because for me it's from this way. Like uh, I started to listen news, then I switched to the bloggers. Ukrainian bloggers who uh, I can trust, the journalists, and now I switch to like uh, outside Ukrainian uh, informational space, and now is Walter space and different places. So I would like to hear from Ukrainian Ukrainians. Thank you. Berlin, you want to go first? Okay. Then special cat. Slava, can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you. Okay, you can hear me, but maybe they can't. That's why it's so what? Okay. Berlin, <laughs> uh, mic check. Okay. Something changed. We're getting Peter? special cut back up. I think uh, I think there's some. Uh, okay, Felin needs a second. Um, and let's uh, let's get the special cut then. Now that he's connecting back up. Special. I cut. can repeat. I can repeat question if uh, you missed. Special cut. Did you hear Slavo uh, Karini earlier? No, there was a question. Yeah. Okay, Slavo Karini, go ahead for a special cut. And Domen, you are breaking up. So uh, my question, I repeat. Uh, so, do you follow Ukrainian uh, meaning media? bloggers, Ukrainian, maybe journalists, or you just uh, maybe marathon? What what your informational intake? Thank you. Uh, like, my, like, I constantly like changing like my informational intakes. For example, some time ago, I watched some Ukrainian bloggers, like uh, uh, I watched uh, Sternenko for some time. 
Um, but now, like uh, at this time, uh, I mostly watch uh, for Telegram channels uh, about what happens in Ukraine. Like, because uh, uh, don't have pretty a lot of time to watch like uh, the full videos about uh, the situation. So just like uh, scrolling through the news in Telegram channel. But uh, Ukrainian marathon, do you listen? Maybe, maybe watching. Uh, no, I think no. Like, um, I think no, uh, don't watch into Ukrainian marathon. Like, uh, I'm not getting what they're talking about uh, a bit. Like, I haven't heard about this thing. Maybe you can DM me. What do you mean? Oh, special Slav Ukrainian means the 24-7 TV marathon that all the TV stations have synchronized. Ah, uh, yes. I oh, oh. do not watch it. Like, uh, my parents are watching it. Like, uh, uh, but I'm not. I see. So you like uh, avoid avoiding it, or you have just other sources that you just have enough. No, I think like uh, I think like I have a feeling that I'm uh, overload. Like with all of this war information, like you know that uh, for the last past uh, four months, like more than four months, uh, it was constantly just the inflow of information about war, 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 like constantly war, and it's like uh, you feel like overpressing your head. And uh, at some moment of time, you just like uh, feel like you like just mm, how to say it, like uh, physically uh, like need to have a little break from it. I understand. Uh, I see. I see. Because I also not just switching, but uh, constantly rotating. Because for me, I need this balance. Balance from this uh, between the, uh, because they all different. Ukrainian marathon 24/7 is different than I listen independent bloggers independent journalists it's a different uh, information I Sternenko yes but he's give also just one like not just one side but he gives his like a uh, his different um, different way he gives information it's like a like entertainment um, a bit of meme it's uh, different and also for me it's really important to balance all this information from different sources and this is why i look in all times around because i need to be informed because uh, like this war started this aggression for me it was really i was totally uh, out of the russian space for me it's never ex- like a never existed for me it was like a totally new what happened what's the reason what then you know, i try to understand now i have my picture i understood what happened so um, for me it's helpful to look at different sides and look like a, on myself from different views maybe get, get a review of myself from different views like a, how how the people see me so it's good thank you and i would like to hear because uh, me I think that's how how um, for now I'm uh, mostly getting like the information from the like uh, Ukrainian uh, Telegram channels because like uh, feel a little bit overload to look anywhere else like more about war like yeah. so uh, not uh, like I'm not watching like marathon for like Ukrainian marathon for the reason like that I do not like it or something like this it's, like, there's no particular reason just like I feel like I'm getting too much like uh war time let's to say in my like daily time no no i understand you i understand you because uh, i am uh, also trying to take take breaks not be too focused on the one thing uh Ferlaine, do you hear can you hear us i think she might maybe still occupied with something uh she got a got a call in the meantime um nina good morning did you say good morning i did say good morning um well yeah hi Almost good morning. Yeah, I guess for you it's an afternoon. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, I can see that Peter has his hand up. I'm just in the middle of making a cup of coffee, so I will be back in a moment. Perfect. Let's go to Peter, and then we'll we'll swing back, and we'll see when when, uh, Renan gets available again. Peter. Yeah, I see Axel is not on now. I was actually going to tell him more about uh, Archer, but uh, I can say... Tell me uh, more about Archer. Yeah, yeah. so so uh, he asked me to find someone in uh, in Norway who has experience with it, uh, and I've done some digging, and I found out that actually uh, Norway terminated the cooperation with Sweden over Archer 
because they weren't uh, able to deliver the systems uh, in the time frame agreed. And uh, since the uh, M109s were considered so old, Norway was in a hurry to replace them. So Norway instead went for, for K9 systems. Uh, so uh, we don't have archers in Norway. So did the ones for Norway ever get produced and then went back to Sweden storage or something? Or what, what's the situation I, I, with those? Because that, that my understanding was that there was 24 made for Norway and then Norway kind of decided they don't want them and then they just went back to Sweden and are sitting somewhere in a warehouse. But I might be completely wrong saying that. So that that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm wondering because that would mean there's a bunch of archers sitting somewhere that can just be sent to Ukraine that nobody's actually using. I think America well, bought them, Domin. Aaron? Yeah, I said I think America bought them. Oh, right. Fair enough. Okay. Peter? Yeah, I, I have no uh, no more information. I, I know they were never delivered to Norway because uh, we, we'd ordered the 24, which is half of the 48. Uh, and uh, and uh, then, uh, you know, the, just time ran out and, and we had to get something so that we had this uh, sufficient artillery force so and i think it was done with no ill will uh, and uh, there wasn't any you know um, big uh, criticism aimed at the swedish or anything it was just you know i hope you understand we need artillery kind of, of thing so um uh, i actually found one more thing uh, totally uh, separate from this but uh, an interesting factoid uh, which is uh, that um, the Lockheed Martin production capacity for for uh, Gimler's ammunition is 10,000 uh, uh, rockets per year. Uh, so that means that uh, that they can sustain a production of uh, about 30 rockets per day, uh, which I think is less than Ukraine is shooting right now. But I assume there are are quite. Uh, uh, sizable stocks uh, of these, and also that production figure is based on uh, on uh, one shift production. So if uh, if uh, there was willingness to incur the costs of running multiple shifts uh, and and ramping up the supply chain, uh, one could potentially double or triple that figure. Right. I see. Okay. But I mean, you know, there there will be substantial stocks because from through previous years they weren't using nearly as many as they were making. Right. Um, so that's good. And I don't think there's actually going to be a shortage for Ukrainians for the for the Gimlers because, I mean, honestly, they, they're using a few, you know, they're using a few missiles, maybe one pod, at most two pods per strike. And we see how much effect a single strike is having, right? And often it's going to be just a couple, two, three, four missiles per, per strike. And it's 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 having very substantial effects. So I, I don't, I'm not particularly worried about the munitions for those. Uh, and as you so say- the, the, the return on investment is enormous. I mean, exactly. uh, you know, you, you, I don't know how much the Gimler's rounds are, but say hundred and, uh, and, you know, just the devastation they wreck on the Russians is, is worth like a hundred times that amount. Exactly, exactly. It's a fantastic ROI. So I really have no worries about that. And also, and this is something I keep coming back to, right? A lot of Western countries are now increasing their future commitments for military expenditure. So countries that were, like, you know, 1.3, 1.5% of GDP are going to 2%. Countries that are 2% are going to 2.5, 2.7. Some countries are going even beyond that. And I think that gives a lot of faith um, in, in, the, you know, in the eyes of manufacturers of military equipment that it's worthwhile investing into more production capacity now because they'll actually be using this production capacity going forward. And just from that perspective, it's, you know, you, you see what I'm getting at. It's worthwhile investing for additional capacity right now for, say, Lockheed Martin because they actually think that they're probably going to be able to sell this stuff. In, in the future to uh, to to NATO militaries, um, and, and, and that's why I, I, I agree with you. And but the, the reason I found the, the figure interesting was actually that it seemed uh, you know sufficiently high, whereas on uh, on maybe Stingers and and maybe even 155 artillery shells, uh, we've had indications that uh, NATO isn't quite ready to sustain for uh, you know over years uh, uh, a significant war effort uh, and and be able to keep up on the production unless you know uh, uh, we switch to a war economy kind of logic actually i think there's a lot of spare capacity in that um and also uh, ryan's telling me that he he's pretty sure that the lockheed production capacity in camden arkansas is uh, running a third shift third shift right now 
and they're the production facility he thinks that makes both javelins and gimlers. So that's, uh, that's probably pretty good in that respect. Um, I'm also being told that apparently Sweden has all 48 archers now, 24 of which are in use, and the other 24 are in storage, as long as the 24 they're meant to go to Norway. And they're waiting for new battalions to be formed within the Swedish army to use them. Um, but I'm guessing they don't need them right now. So maybe at least some of them, they know that they'd, they'd be able to uh, um, to get, uh, you know, shipped somewhere more 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 practicable right now and then backfilled from new production uh, later on. Uh, that's, you know, that's all, that's all pretty good. Uh, all pretty good. And yes, you're, you're completely right on the return on investment. is just huge. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to the the Gimler's use thus far, Nina. Thank you, Don, and thank you, Peter. Uh, actually, on the topic what you are talking about now, uh, I was thinking that uh, which all countries have pro- production of, of uh, this kind of um, like uh, military e- equipment, uh, artillery and stuff. Uh, of course, we know the US and the UK and uh, Germany. Uh, but uh, when we are looking at uh, how much the West is now pushing towards uh, or taking this stuff to, to Ukraine, uh, I'm thinking about the production, that how much can they, uh, how can they continue this? Uh, like, uh, do they, can they produce as much as Ukraine needs and also what they own? already so this isn't the worry um this really isn't the worry nina in the sense that there is very large quantities of stocks because military equipment doesn't get produced as it's used military equipment gets produced that then it's you know hangs around for decades right um so that that's not really a worry depending on what the specific thing is some countries are making it some others aren't so for example the munition for high mars right that's only made in america I think, because um, it's all Lockheed Martin. Uh, when it comes to, for example, anti-tank weapons, you have, uh, you know, javelins made in the US and those made in the UK. Then you have the, the Karl Gustav uh, 84s, which are, I think, made all in Sweden. Um, you have the Panzerfaust made in Germany, etc. right? Where if you're looking at artillery systems, um, there's the archers made in Sweden that we were discussing earlier. There's the Caesars from France. There's the Panzerhaubitze from Germany. There's the uh, US-produced M109s. There's the South Korean K9s. There's the Polish-produced crabs, which are a combination of a K9 uh, chassis with, I think, an AS-90 British aerospace um, turret. Um, you know, so so it's it's a lot of a lot of these things are made in, in lots of different countries. The good thing about the 155 millimeter NATO artillery, I mean, NATO standard artillery ammunition is also that lots of countries produce it and it's all to the same standard. So um, the, the ammunition produced in France or in Germany or in Sweden or in Finland or in um, Italy or in Spain or in the US or in Japan, it all fits the same gun. It, it all fits all of these guns, right? So you can put it put the same same uh, munition in a Panzerhaubitzer, an M109 from the US, or in a Caesar, or an Archer, or or in a Crab, or whatever, and it all works. And that that's the compatibility, right? Just like bullets and guns, lots of different countries produce rifles, but they, all the NATO countries produce the same. I think two types of bullets, basically, for for different uh, stuff. So it's, it's all good. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the the West can massively outproduce Russia. Russia isn't that industrially strong. If the West really wants to and needs to, the collective free world can massively outproduce Russia, especially you know in a, in for for a short period of time. Um, so that's um, that's not a problem at all. Uh, if the need is there and the will is there and the dedication is there, this is this is not a not a question. Peter, uh, can I have a follow up? I, I think Peter wants to add some stuff to the ah, first okay, one first. Okay. I have a hunch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I'm not an expert in this, uh, but uh, I've, uh, you know, looked at the numbers, and uh, and I uh, am willing to believe that uh, that there is no issue in supplying Ukraine, but I, I do think that uh, that maybe. Uh, you know, just the intensity of the artillery battle, for instance, has opened some eyes in terms of a broader NATO sort of procurement, uh, logistics, and inventory strategy 
for uh, how you know for how much capacity will need to be ramped up in case of a major conflict with uh, between NATO and uh, and uh, Russia or other you know China or whatever adversaries. Uh, we do have uh, you know good stocks, but uh, but the the uh, ability to produce significant amounts that's something we have to scramble. Uh, to get, we don't have it uh, off the shelf. Maybe, with the exception of these gimlars, which seems to have, a, you know, a decent uh, uh, production capacity uh, right now. And thank you, Peter. And uh, uh, as we have heard, the European Union and and the European countries weren't prepared very well for any kind of war. And uh, NATO also has have, have now has now uh, been ramping up. So uh, there weren't many countries that were prepared for this this kind of war. Well, I, I'm sorry to, to, this is not advertising, but as you know, Finland, we have been prepared, but that's not enough for for this kind of situation. Yeah, it's all about men, men, national mentality. I think uh, Finland has a great sort of, you know, uh, national mentality for military preparedness, as has the U.S., uh, as have some other countries, and other countries, uh, maybe including Norway to some extent, don't have it to the same degree. Uh, what we have in Norway is that uh, sort of the military and the politicians have conspired to keep a higher level of, uh, of preparedness than, than the population actually is aware, aware of. So it's not uh, our, our preparedness is actually not that bad. But uh, I think in Finland, the, just the, the people has a much stronger uh you know give it because of the the winter war uh, and the memories that has created uh, the, it's just more part of the culture to to uh, expect something from the russians exactly and uh, i'm sure you remember Peter, that there was a big military military exercise i think it was in uh, march or april march i think uh, in actually uh, north of norway with uh, the UK and I think some Americans, Finnish uh, soldiers and also army and also the Nor Norwegian ar army. It was called the Arrows 22, if I remember right. Is that cold response? Yeah, cold cold response. And ah, uh, they had yeah all, all manner of uh, all manner of NATO countries participating as well as a few non-NATO ones actually in the Finland, I think. Yeah, and it was uh, absolutely it was like in the winter because I I remember that. Some some of the uh, some of some countries uh, went uh, pre like re didn't know as well, of course, as Norwegian and and Finnish how to deal with the snow and that kind of stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if many people in this uh, space have the experience of of sleeping standing upright on skis, uh, which is something you get to to try when you're uh, serving your service up here i've done it it's uh, it's hilarious <laughs> yeah i can imagine but uh, i heard a, a relative of mine young young man who was in the army last winter and he served uh, and it was a really bad covid so they stayed in in minus 25 degrees somewhere up north in finland and in a tent in the forest for two weeks in minus 25 degrees that was kind of tough to yeah but you know at the end of the day if the russians were ever stupid enough to go and attack finland you know they'd be very well prepared and let's say the russians wouldn't have so uh i, I think that that just shows the dedication and the preparedness and the um you know in interest in uh, collective self-defense that the finnish people have and that's because they know what's uh on the, the much bigger thing on the other side of the border. Except right now, the much bigger thing on the other side of the border is severely depleted because they've emptied all of their bases on the Finnish border because they know that there's never any danger for them from Finland, despite of what um, they have kept peddling in their both domestic propaganda, but also uh, propaganda aimed at the abroad, uh, you know, how... Russia is in, great, in, in grave danger because of all of these countries on its borders that just want to attack Russia, which is, which is always complete nonsense. And now the Russians have to admit to themselves, finally, publicly, that it was always indeed complete nonsense. You know? Yeah, I was just thinking of this uh, like a contradiction that NATO is threatening. They say that NATO is threatening them and then they take all the, the, 
their defense away from the border. Yeah. NATO is actually exactly. guarding their border right now because they know that NATO won't attack them. So NATO is guarding Russia's border. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so um, actually, while we have a special Hassan cat here, um, I have a bit of a question uh, for you, if you can hear me, special cat. Excellent. So my, my question is, um, I'm, I'm guessing you're following, you know, you, you, have, you have relatives, you have friends all over Hassan Oblast, but also I'm guessing you, you know lots of like local telegram channels and the like that you're following that other people might not be so much. Um, have, has there been any, let's say, reporting from um, the villages in the, what is this, the, the northwest and the west of Kherson Oblast that have recently been uh, liberated by Ukrainian forces? And, you know, what was the response in these villages or maybe people returning to the villages despite their being, they still being very close to the front line after they've previously evacuated from them? Or, now, any, or have you heard any stories um, from people from, from those areas that have been you know, newly liberated and the outlying bits of Hersonobla. Um, it's like I want to point out it's very hard to get any information from the tiny villages especially. It's uh, um, unlikely that someone will be uh, able to get info from the villages like uh, if only not from direct source direct uh, people they know in these villages. Um, so um, I uh, don't know what's uh, on West uh west north part of Kherson oblast but uh, i can give you examples of alexandrivka uh posad pokrovsky pravdino this uh, which were liberated like the, between nikolaev and Kherson. people are not living there they were like most populations were evacuated from there and they do not want like to return because it's uh, like it's front line like th- those settlements that are being liberated like uh, mm, like people want to return there, but it's like uh, very dangerous. So, for example, I, I know people who want to return to Miss uh, Oleksandrivka, but it's frontline. Like, uh, it's um, like they are kind of allowed to do it if they want. Like, uh, but it's uh, like not recommended. So I don't know, maybe Slava Ukraine, like I do not know like many people from tiny villages, so I cannot provide you like this uh, data from these first hands. Like maybe some other Ukrainians here know a little bit more about it. Slava Ukraine? Yes, uh, just uh, today I heard that about these uh, uh, villages that are close to the front line. So reports are... Uh, always uh, seem the same. Villages are now empty. There is no people living there. If someone who could uh, le- who left the, the villages because it's really dangerous, there are people no, no, no living soul. They just, or they just got killed or they just left. It's really, really dangerous. So like it was, for example, I don't remember exactly names of these villages, but it's like a village that had 